you know, hey, I come from a strong family. And so uh, as trauma showed up in our lives, oftentimes we were told, suck it up, uh, keep going to work, keep doing your job. And, uh, and you don't realize that, man, I'm dealing with trauma and I've never given myself space for it. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of The Link to our Woodside family and to all of our friends who tune in regularly here. Today, we have a very important and educational episode, and we're going to talk to some professionals about the topic of trauma. You know, we're living in a time where there's a tremendous amount of pain in our world. Uh, some is overwhelming, some seeming distant, but a lot of it deeply personal. And today we want to just take up the question of how do we process our own trauma and how do we help those that we love? You know, the Bible commands the church to mourn with those who mourn. But what does that look like as it pertains to the traumatic events that shape our life? As always, I've invited some guests that can help us to process through these topics to professionals who are trained in the area of trauma counseling. First, Liz Strong. Liz has been a member of Woodside and has been a, a clinical social worker and practicing since 2009. She's helped us in a number of areas as a church and I'm very uh, grateful for you, Liz. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Uh, and then also Nate Richards. Uh, Nate, about five years ago, started uh, a counseling center right here in the Troy area called Everyday Process. Nate specializes in uh, doing counseling in the area of marriage, affair recovery, uh, sex, uh, sexual trauma as well, and uh, a lot of other areas. I'm super grateful for you. You've been a huge blessing to so many of the Woodside uh, family. So thanks for joining, Nate. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Liz, I'll start with you. Often when we use the word trauma, it's used uh, in a lot of different ways. Some would even say maybe even overused in our day and age. So let's start with a working definition, at least from a professional perspective. When you say the word trauma, what do you mean? Sure. So trauma is really any event or experience that somebody goes through that makes them feel as though they are in extreme danger, um, that there's a threat to their life, or that they've really lost control of their, their own body, the situation that they're in, or perhaps they've lost control over the safety of a loved one. Um, so I think what's really important with trauma is it really boils down to what somebody is perceiving in an experience. So if somebody is like, you could have two people in a car accident, one person might walk away from that saying, wow, I didn't really like that, it was really stressful and overwhelming, but you know what, I'm okay and I'm gonna move forward. Another person might have perceived that experience as being traumatic. They might have felt that they were in very extreme danger. And so it's important to make sure that you check in. Just because an event might seem traumatic, it doesn't always equal trauma. It's also important to know there's different types of trauma. So one type of trauma is acute trauma. So that's like, this is the event, it's happened, and now it's over. You might have a few of those throughout your life, but it's, it's not an ongoing trauma. Chronic trauma is that ongoing trauma. 
So an example of chronic trauma might be living in a very dangerous neighborhood where every day when you walk out the door, you don't know, am I going to come home today? Are my kids going to be safe? Is something bad going to happen? Um, and so that has really profound effects on a person's life when they're living through chronic trauma. Um, acute trauma obviously has effects as well. Yeah. Um, some examples of common traumas that you might see would be sexual assault, living in a situation where you're experiencing ongoing abuse, yeah. um, if you are having extreme neglect of basic needs. For a lot of women, childbirth can be very traumatic, mm -hmm. and sometimes that gets missed because it's such a joyful experience. Mm -hmm. um, another very common one would be people who are serving in the armed forces. If they've gone through a war type of situation, um, they may come out of that with trauma as yeah. well. Yeah, I think that we've all become more aware of what's been labeled PTSD yes. in particular as it pertains to uh, the military. You know, I appreciate you sharing that with me because I'm coming to this conversation as a pastor who has a heart to help those who've gone through trauma, also as an individual who's experienced trauma myself, but uh, certainly not as someone who is a trained uh, trauma specialist and so I'm grateful and I do want to say that that specific training is so important if we're going to look to the right people to get help in other words Nate there are people who have a heart to help but not necessarily the skills to help mm, and it seems to me that one of the great skills we need is to know how to identify it so uh, Liz helped to define it uh, what are some things that you would say uh, would help us to identify when a trauma has taken place, maybe in our own lives, but in the lives of those that we love. Yeah, I really appreciate what Liz said there because not only does the person, might the person not feel safe in the moment, but the trauma impact might come two, three, four days later. Yeah. So they might have walked away from the car accident and thought, man, this is, I can't believe it, that was amazing. And then the next week, or the next couple of days, they hear car tires screech, and all of a sudden, it's the worst thing yes. ever. And someone looks at them like, "Why are you freaking out?" Um, well, maybe I'm not as together as I thought I was. Yeah. So maybe sometimes when we think about how does this show up, or what can we see in a person's life a little bit later, uh, hopefully I'm staying on the same question yes. there. You know, you might notice that you wake up sweating, mm. and you still hear helicopter blades, or you still hear gunshots, mm. or you perceive the threat of violence when someone uh, reaches out to give you a high five and you kind of catch yourself flinching. Mm -hmm. You're bracing for impact when it was a lovely greeting. Mm -hmm. So there can be a number of things, ways that trauma can show up. It can come up in smells. Mm -hmm. uh, it can come up in, in a location. Mm -hmm. It can come up in a song. Uh, the lyrics of a song, the, the content of it might be totally fine to everyone else, but for you it's traumatic as that person is talking about uh, an affair or it can show up in a movie Maybe it's a, a man and he's kissing a woman and he, you know that's not his wife and you know that your husband was doing that. The next thing you know, you're triggered and your night is ruined. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot of it comes from the internal response to some trigger uh, in your life or, or in that moment. You know, I appreciate, Nate, you uh, sharing those things because I think one of the big concerns I have is the shame that comes along with trauma. Um, and I think a lot of it comes well-intentioned, but mistakes. So Liz and Nate, uh, let's talk about some of the mistakes that people make in their response to trauma. What are some common mistakes that you see 
uh, not only individuals make with their own trauma, but maybe those who love someone who's gone through trauma. So I would say one mistake is just, it can be very hard to hear that someone else has experienced trauma, especially if that trauma occurred with another person that you love, care about, respect. Yeah. And so it can be very difficult to accept and believe what that person's telling you. So sometimes it's like you might share, okay, this happened to me, and the person might say, no, that didn't happen, that's yeah. not real, like it's, it's fine, you'll be okay. And that is a very damaging thing to hear when that might be the first person you've ever told yeah. about your trauma. So it's important that we believe people Absolutely. when they share their trauma with us. And we're seeing a lot of that as it pertains to spiritual abuse and trauma, uh, where someone could have a history of it, but the community or the people closest to them that could have held them accountable just simply didn't want to believe uh, that that person was capable of it. Uh, Nate, uh, any um, areas of common mistakes that yeah, stick I out think, to you? You know, when you when you deal with some, I work a lot with affairs, yeah. specifically related to sexual addiction and multiple partners. And I think sometimes a lot of good, you know, well-meaning people, they require the offended spouse to forgive right away. And they don't give space for the depths of betrayal, mm -hmm. right? So I forgive you for, you know, the affair that you had with our neighbor, right? But then there's a, the next layer is, but our neighbor was 18. Mm. And our next door neighbor, it was the neighbor's daughter who was 18 and now she's pregnant. So mm. we're, there are layers to the betrayal sometimes. And so we are not always encountering those layers of betrayal right away. So I might be able to forgive that there's an affair, but then wow. but they were 18 and we're gonna have a baby now and yeah. I have to parent and I have to be involved in this. And what do we say about the parents who are neighbors that we live next door to for 20 years? Yeah. There's all kinds of hurt and depth there. Yeah. And so I think requiring people to forgive right away sometimes can feel very betraying and be almost like another level of trauma yeah. to that person. Yeah, well, you know, you, you are describing the complexities of it, right? That trauma is very rarely neat, if ever. And there's a lot of layers and a lot of messiness. And so what I'm hearing you say, Nay, is, man, we need to give space and time for people to process through the layers. And uh, it seems to me that you may not even know all of it up front. That comes over time as well. You know, one of the mistakes that I've seen a lot is what I would call kind of a Timex philosophy of life. We remember those Timex commercials. Timex takes a lick in and it keeps on ticking, you know? Might you might too be too for young that. for that, Liz. <laughs> uh, but it was a slogan for a long time. And a lot of people kind of take that mentality that, man, I'm tough, I'm strong. And the definition of strength is to not take time to grieve or not take time to process trauma. And, um, you know, hey, I come from a strong family. And so uh, as trauma showed up in our lives, oftentimes we were told, suck it up, uh, keep going to work, keep doing your job. And, uh, and you don't realize that, man, I'm dealing with trauma and I've never given myself space for it. What happens in our lives when we don't process trauma? I'll start with Nate. 
And then, Liz, anything you want to add? What happens when it's bottled up? Yeah, so I know I grew up in Philadelphia, right? West Philadelphia to be exact. And so I know what you it's know like. What I want to say. I know what you want to I know what you want to say. I know what Were you born and raised I was there? born and raised there. <laughs> I was. Playground absolutely. Involved, the whole thing. Um, you know, I remember playing on the street with my friends and someone coming out of the house with a 12 gauge shotgun, shooting out someone's front window of their car wow. while my friends and I were just standing around playing around. I remember what it was like as a kid to come home and someone had broke into our home and stolen things. Yeah. You know, the PTSD, what happened, you know, is post, post-traumatic. Yes. You mentioned what it's like to grow up in a neighborhood where it, the post is never there. It's yeah. just traumatic always. all the time. Yes. And so you can come through, come through life and you're always locking your doors. You're always making sure the curtains are drawn. You're always making sure that everyone has all their, bring, bring your bike in, bring this thing. Make sure that everything is almost tied down. And so when you set, catch yourself being on guard constantly, maybe there's some trauma there. Yeah. And so I think for friends, they should investigate rather than just kind of brushing it off. Hey, what, mm. why, do you, uh, why are you always locking the doors? Why are you always looking yeah. out the windows? Why are you always checking to see if there's somebody behind you? What's being going on there? Being hypervigilant yeah. in that way. Liz, any, anything you want to add to that of when we don't process our trauma, what happens? Well, a lot of times when we don't process it, it has to go somewhere. So it gets ingrained into like your physical body at times. Mm. So there's actually a, a study out there that's used a lot. It's called the ACEs study. Mm -hmm. And what they found through that study, it's very short. I think it's, you might know this, about 10 mm -hmm. questions. Yeah, real short. Um, but if you have a score, I think of five or higher, um, it says that you are going to have some big challenges in life. So you're going to have challenges potentially in the areas of your social relationships, wow. your physical health, your mental health, um, and just financially, you might struggle like to hold a job down. So it's not just, oh, I'm sad or I'm hypervigilant. It can actually affect every part of your life if you don't address it. So hearing you say that leads me to the thought of how do we recover? What does recovery look like? In particular, if the traumatic event happened while you were a teen, uh, a child, in a transitional or formative season of your life, what does recovery look like? Sure, so I work with a lot of kids and teens, and one of the challenges that comes is that if you think about development, your brain takes a, a couple years, you know, maybe about 20 to 25 years to fully develop. Mm -hmm. And if you have trauma before you hit that full development of your brain, there's gonna be some connections that your brain needed to make that will be missed, that will be kind of misplaced even. And so when you're working with kids and children, you have to be aware of when that trauma happened mm -hmm. in their stage of development. Because we need to know what connections might have been made about the world, beliefs about people, yeah. beliefs about themselves. Kids will often never blame somebody who's done harm to them. Yeah. They will internalize and blame themselves. Mm. And so we need to be very aware of, of that piece. Some kids, it happens before they have language skills. Mm. So that's going to affect how we treat those children. Um, so with children who may have experienced trauma before they were verbal, we're going to do a lot of play. We want, as the professionals, to help them put language to what they're doing. Yeah. We want to allow them to express what they're doing without our own emotional reactions to what they're showing us. Yeah. I've had kids show me some things that have happened to them mm. through play, and it, it's very sad to watch yes. that. 
Um, there is a treatment modality called trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy. In our world, we love acronyms, so we call it TFCBT. And they have an acronym called PRACTICE. Mm -hmm. And it kind of guides what you would do in treatment. Mm -hmm. So you might start with psychoeducation, mm -hmm. which is just really informing the families, big time the families, because behaviors are going to happen. Mm -hmm. The child may be acting in a way that just seems off for another kid their age. Mm -hmm. Then we want to help them focus on learning how to relax. Mm. Um, that's a very important skill because when your emotions take over, it's very hard to process what you've experienced. Mm. So we come back to that a lot. The A stands for, this is fancy, affect modulation, which is really just learning how to express and name your feelings. Mm. C is cognitive coping, understanding what thoughts and beliefs you may have developed because of the trauma. Mm -hmm. T is writing out what happened to you, the trauma narrative, expressing mm. in any way that works for you. Some kids might create a game to express it. Some kids might draw a comic book, um, but doing that is very healing for children. If there's something like I saw the color blue when I went through my trauma. Mm -hmm. And now I might be having what you were talking about, those extreme like emotional reactions to any time I see the color blue. Yeah. I'm going to need to know how to function in a world where there's a lot of blue. Mm -hmm. And so um, we want to help kids in a structured way that's safe and slow learn how to be functional in their day-to-day -day life when they're around the color blue. Yeah. Um, and then we want to help the child share that narrative with their caregivers or loved ones as long as they're in a good place. Yes. A lot of times caregivers and loved ones really blame themselves for what's happened. Why wasn't I there to protect them? Why couldn't I stop this? Why did I do something you know, that caused this trauma for them? Mm -hmm. And finally, we want to enhance their safety moving forward. Unfortunately, for a lot of people who've experienced trauma, they're often um, at risk of being re-exposed to traumatic events and experiences. So we want to have a plan in place to allow them to have more safety set up in their life, being aware of what types of people are safe, what types of people aren't safe moving forward. So we can try to like lessen the uh, possibility of trauma happening again. That's really good. And I love that you use the acronym PRACTICE, helps to make it memorable. And I'm also grateful that we've recorded this <laughs> yeah. so we can play it again and yeah. again and again. But Nate, as I listen to Liz, I think about the fact that, man, you guys have specializations that are critical. And that just is a reminder to me that not all therapists or counselors have the same types of training and specialization. And I've heard a lot of people, Nate, come back to me and say, hey, I went to go see a counselor who was well-meaning, but actually it seems like more harm has been done than good. So why is it important that we look for, if we've been through trauma, folks who have specialized training in trauma? Great question. I think what we talk about in this realm is called trauma-informed care. Yeah. So it's you go through grad school, you learn how to do counseling, and you usually, in your grad school education, you don't have a course on trauma. Mm. So you end up seeing people and you handle them the way that you might handle everyone with cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectical therapy. You know, there's all a bunch of different schools of thought on that. But if you don't have training in trauma, then you might not be equipped to handle or be aware that something that happened 20, 30 years ago yeah. could be adversely impacting them today. Speaking of the ACEs, right? Adverse childhood experiences. These things happen and then they impact us. And so if I don't have the, the right awareness that trauma 
is also at play, yes. then I may not, I may just think about someone who had an affair as just a, a guy who's, who's a, a cheater, right? But if we slow it down and we look at that person's life and we go, wait a minute, here's a guy that when his anxiety goes up, he's, he was so alone as a young person that he, when someone introduced him to sex, he found the thing that soothes his heart. Mm. And so now that pornography has come in, he is soothing that wound there. And so as he gets older, the neurons in his brain that fire together, wire together. Yeah. So as an adult, he gets, he gets uh, uh, corrected at a job. You know, he gets called in for being late or something like that, and on his way back to his, to his desk, and as he's nursing his wounds, he's yeah. going, I know exactly how I can fix this yeah. hurt. Yeah. The neurons are coming together. I'm going to use yes. sex to feel and to, to fill my hurting heart. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so now I'm, I'm doing this. And so we want to make sure that when we get the care that we need, that it addresses these traumatic responses. So, so with that being said, maybe just one question. What is uh, maybe one question that people should ask a potential counselor or therapist to know they have the right one? If there was one question you would wow, say. Wow, one question. You only I, get I, one. I, yeah, only get one. I would say, are you trauma-informed? Okay. Yeah. Trauma-informed trauma people, informed? they know that question. Okay. And they know that landscape. They know everything you're asking. You say, oh, yes. Okay. All right. So all throughout the Bible, we see trauma. Uh, we see J Joseph betrayed by his brothers. Absolutely. We see the rape of Tamar. Uh, we can only imagine what it must have been like for Jesus' disciples to watch him crucified, yeah. uh, for his mother to watch her son die. We can tend to dehumanize these people, but these were real people who went through real traumas. Um, what can we as a church do better to help people because obviously it's all through scripture and one of the things that i love about scripture is it doesn't water down reality it's not pollyanna it's honest so what can the church do uh, as ones who are called to mourn with those who mourn to uh, better care for those who have gone through trauma any uh, quick advice, Liz? Sure. I think, th especially this church, is full of people who are kind, loving, compassionate, very well-meaning. But often, when somebody comes to you and shares something that is painful, a trauma that they've experienced, I think there's this desire because we don't want them to feel like that. We love them. We want them to be happy and joyful and enjoy yes. life, to want to fix it. And so then we want to say something, to do something to fix that feeling that person is bringing to us. And I would really caution against the fix-it language, which might be everything happens for a reason, right? God's in control, which he is. These are truthful, honest things. But when you are hearing somebody share their pain with you, sometimes saying those things can almost add more pain to what they're experiencing. Yeah. So what we want to start with is by trying to reflect back to them and sit with them in what they're feeling. So if somebody comes to you and shares, you might even not know what to say, and you can just say that. Yeah. You can say, I am so sorry for what you've been through. I wish I had the words to say to make this go away. That's way better than saying everything happens for a reason. You know, it's interesting because I think of the book of Job and uh, yeah. when his friends first came to him, they sat silently. Mm. And as long as they sat silently, things were great. Mm -hmm. yeah, but it wasn't until so they started talking yeah. uh -huh. that things went downhill. So yeah. sometimes that's uncomfortable. You know, I know in pastoral training, we call that presence ministry that just the power of being present 
not feeling the pressure of having to fix, but just being with someone uh, is healing in and of itself. And so I appreciate that. Nate, um, any brief advice you would give to the church on how we can uh, best care for those who have gone through trauma? Yeah, I might say as we, as we sit with people to investigate, not an interrogation kind of thing, but tell me more about that. That sounds really painful. I'd love to hear more about that. Cry with them. Hold space, as we might say. Share that moment. Don't feel like you have to rush it. I like that. Don't feel like you have to fix it. That's our own stuff coming up, right? Somebody brings something bad to me, I feel like I got to fix it, right? So slow down, just sit with them, and then maybe refer. Have you considered calling your pastor about this? Have you have you considered talking to the, the care ministry that we have at the church? Have you considered professional counseling? Yeah. These things could be really helpful for you. You know, I, I got to be honest. We, we first met, you and I, uh, in, uh, well, we actually met before Moody, but we had a chance to work together. We did. Uh, at Moody. And um, I think the biggest impact that Moody had on me was the recognition of the limitations of pastoral counseling training and professional counseling training. And I just want to say to, uh, to those who are pastors and leaders, praise God for the training we've received. And, uh, and that can help. That can help with a lot of common areas of sin and, and uh, interpersonal conflicts. But it is different than professional training. And uh, I grew deeply in my appreciation uh, during my time at Moody Theological Seminary for those who, like yourself, and like you, Liz, who are trained specialists in these areas. And I think the church would do well to honor and respect that professional training as a part of God's gifts to uh, the body of believers. Um, there are a lot of people who are listening to us right now who this isn't theoretical. This isn't just educational. They're going through trauma right now. What advice would you give to them if somebody is watching us and they're going through trauma right now, maybe even chronic, Yeah. what would you say to them? Well, first, I would just say, I'm so sorry for what you're experiencing. And um, it's not easy to have lived whatever you've lived through. And um, it's so important, I think, ultimately to get help because you're not gonna heal if you keep it all inside. Yeah. And it's really gonna do damage to you long-term. And so it's really important to reach out to somebody in your life. If you feel like you have nobody, I mean, Woodside's a great place to start. And so, you know, if you come to church um, in person, yeah. you can fill out that Connect card. You could literally just say, call me. Yes. Um, you don't have to put anything specific there, but just to start there by like getting some somebody involved in your life. Yes. If you have people in your life, reach out to them. You know, say, hey, I don't know where to start. I feel overwhelmed. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Um, and say, can you help me find a therapist? Can you, who should I talk to? That's what our loved ones and our, our community support is for. Yeah, so please reach out. Uh, know that at every campus of Woodside, we have campus pastors who would love to help you in this journey of uh, healing through trauma. Also in uh, the postscript for this particular episode, there are resources and there's also a link for you to click on and fill out an information card and uh, someone will follow up with you, I promise. 
Uh, Nate, there's only so much ground we can cover sure. in a season like uh, this, an episode like this. And so uh, we have shared also the information uh, for everyday process for people who want to follow up to have connection to you and also you, Liz, as well. Nate, can you close us in prayer? Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the wonderful counselor and you promised to not leave us comfortless, but you would be with us even to the ends of the world. And I pray for every person watching this video that they would be comforted with the knowledge that you are there, that they can cry out to you and be saved, but they can also reach out and get help. Lord, would you help us to reach out to someone to share the burdens that we have in our heart so that we don't have to be alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Liz and Nate, I cannot thank you enough. Thank you for joining us yeah, today and for all of us who are processing through our own trauma or helping someone we love. Just know uh, that the church is here to help, to support, and to encourage you to get the healing that Christ intends for you to have. Well, I can't wait until our next edition of The Link. Until then, have a great day and know that we love you.